All right. Well, good evening. It is good to have you here. You know, as Claire was speaking, he he was asking the parents to get here at 7:10. Now, I have a feeling you people might have something to do about that. <laughs> you know, if you're good boys and girls, your parents would be like, "Absolutely, every evening. It's no problem. We just come to church." Anyway, no, that's it's good to have you here. You know, I'm looking at y'all. Some of you have brown hair. There we have some red hair. Some have blue eyes, brown eyes. What else is different about you all? Big ears, small ears, ears that aren't attached, ears that are attached. I have a question for you all. Do any of you know how many people there are in the world? Anybody know? How about anybody out here? How many people are in the world? Eight billion people. Is that a lot of people? That's a lot of people. Let me ask you this question. Out of those eight billion people, are any two of them alike? Now you got the right answer there. No two are alike. Isn't that amazing? You know, we got a book for our girls recently. I'm going to show you some pictures out of it. And I'm not even sure where my wife got this book. But you know what? You're here in Virginia. And that's just a tiny place in the world. There's 8 billion people in the world. And there's lots of children. You see these different pictures? All kinds of children. Some are black. In Africa. These are children that go to school. There's a little girl from Peru. Can you all see that? Lots of different children. There's one from Mexico. There's Africa. I'm just going to show you a few pictures. South Africa. Lots of children all over the world. And they look different, don't they? They're not the same as you. Maybe I'll find one from China. There we go. How about that? Big country called China. You know, there's, out of the 8 billion people in the world, I don't know how many are children, but I have something to represent all the people in the world. All different colors. Now, they have categorized all the colors of people in the world, and there's 35 different Shades of people. <laughs> I don't know who figured that out. But this jar represents all the people in the world. What's in that jar? M&M's, yeah. We have blue ones, we have green ones, we have yellow ones, orange ones, we have brown ones. And this represents all the people in the world. Eight billion M&M's. <laughs> You're not counting. Eight billion M&Ms. Now, I have a question for you. If you take an orange M&M and you cut it open, is it orange on the inside? How do you all know? If you cut a red one open, is it red on the inside? No. Blue one, not blue on the inside? Let's try that out. I got a knife up here. 
And I do have something on this stand, so I'm not going to... There we go. Maybe we'll cut a, a brown one open. Look at that. It's brown on the inside, isn't it? Have you ever looked at it before? What color is that one on the inside? You see? What color? Brown? Yeah, brown too. So all these, all these children in the world, all the 8 billion people in the world, in this jar, you cut all these open, and they're all the same color on the inside. And I want to teach a lesson from that. I have another question for you. How many of you have cut yourselves? What happens when you cut yourself? You bleed. What is bleeding? Can you get a little more graphic? <laughs> What's coming out of you? Anybody? What's the answer? Yes. Blood. What, co what color of blood comes out of you? How about you? Red. How about you? Red. Any other colors of blood? <laughs> Red blood? Red blood. You know what the Bible says? The Bible says in Acts 17, 26, And God hath made of one blood all nations of men for to dwell on the face of the earth, and hath determined the times before appointed in the bounds of their habitation. You know, we, we humans, we get all caught up into what people look like. The color of their skin, their ears, their eyes, how tall they are, how short they are. And the Bible doesn't say much about the races of people. It just says that he created all nations of one blood. So all those pictures I showed you, if, you cut your, if children cut themselves in China, they bleed red, right? If they cut themselves in Korea, they bleed red. If they cut themselves in Mexico... God made all mankind of one blood. One blood. God doesn't see the color of our skin. God doesn't see the color of our hair and our eyes. He sees the inside. God is in, interested in the inside. In fact, Peter said this. He said, Of a truth I perceive that God is no respecter of persons. But in every nation he that feareth him and worketh righteousness is accepted with him. And you know what? With God... All of us can be accepted, no matter what our skin color, no matter what kind of ears we have, what kind of eyes we have, hair, and how tall we are. All of us can be accepted of God. He doesn't care about our skin color. He cares about what's on the inside, our heart. And you know what? What does God care about in our hearts? Well, he cares if we get angry, doesn't he? He cares if we love. He cares if we're sad. And he cares if we share with our brothers and sisters. And he cares if we obey our parents. And all these things happen in our hearts. And God accepts all people who love him with their whole heart. I want, to put your, want you to put your hand here. Can you feel your heart beating? Can you feel it? I have to scare you good and proper, then you might. Yeah, you all have a heart that's pumping. You know, God cares about that heart. God cares about the inside. And so what's the lesson for us? Do you think we ought to make fun of people who look different than we do? No, we shouldn't do that. Because remember, when they cut themselves, they bleed red too. They're made of the same stuff. 
So we shouldn't make fun of people who look different than we do. And you know what? The Bible says that God created us in his own image. Did did your parents ever tell you that you look like God? Do you think you look like God? You don't think you do? You know, one time there was a, a young man going around, and I heard this secondhand. And he was going up to people, and he would ask them, do you think you're handsome? And he would ask the boys, do you think you're handsome? And he asked the girls, do you think you're beautiful? <laughs> and I told the fellow I was talking to, I said, you know what I would tell him? I'd say, I was made in God's own image. Go figure. <laughs> the Bible says God created us in his own image. I think we look somewhat like God. I, don't, I haven't seen God. But the Bible tells us that. And so it's very important that you don't make fun of people how they look and how they're created because they were created in the image of God. And God breathed into them the breath of life. And furthermore, the Bible says that someday in heaven, there will be all kinds of people there. All kinds. It says, And lo, a great multitude which no man could number. And we can number eight billion, can't we? How many are going to be in heaven? I don't know. Man has counted eight billion, supposedly. A great multitude which no man could number of all nations and kindreds and people and tongues stood before the throne and before the Lamb, clothed with white robes and palms in their hands. And so you know what? Someday in heaven, many of those boys and girls that we saw in those pictures in other countries, they'll be there in heaven too. There'll be people from China, people from Mexico, people from Russia, people from India. All kinds of people in heaven someday. And you know why they'll be there? It's not because of their skin color. It's not because of what they look like, but it's because of their heart. You remember that. God cares about our hearts. And you remember this, that everybody bleeds red. (laughs) It's what's on the inside that counts. I have a little gift for you here to help you remember that. You all like candy? I think we ought to sing a verse of song. You know the song, Jesus Loves the Little Children of the World? It talks about red, green, yellow, black, and white. I guess that's what it says. All the colors in there. (laughs) You know what? Let's sing the first verse. Jesus loves the little children, all the children of the world. Red, brown, yellow, black, and white, they are precious in His sight. Jesus loves the little children of the world. Yes, He does. He really does. So you remember that your whole life, God cares about the inside. You're dismissed. You can go back to your parents. Well, good evening to y'all. And I thought when I was first preparing that children's uh, lesson there, I thought, well, this will be the most woke children's lesson you've ever had. <laughs> Seems to be all the rage these days about race. But you know what? The Bible says very little about race, doesn't it? We're all of one blood. And that's amazing. How God wants us to look at that. 
Well, we have one more thing for the children, maybe some of you older children. We've been putting words up here that are unusual. Sometimes we don't say them right. Sometimes we don't even know what they mean. Can anybody tell me what this, how it's pronounced and what it means? Any volunteers? Yes. And what is it? Fever. Yeah. Yeah, this is said ague. It's only found once in the Bible, if I'm not mistaken. In Leviticus 26.16, God is telling the children of Israel what he's going to do to them if they do not listen to him. He says, I will also do this unto you, and I will even appoint over you terror, consumption, and the burning ague, which he said was fever, that shall consume the eyes and cause sorrow of heart, and ye shall sow your seed in vain, for your enemies shall eat it. And so I guess you children, now you know what this means. You can say, Mom, I have a burning ague. <laughs> and if they're here tonight, they'll know what it means. <laughs> but um, what, it, what it actually refers to would be modern-day malaria, an acute fever. In fact, this word, I think, if you go back to the Latin, actually means acute fever. And God is telling children of Israel, this is what will happen to them if they do not obey him. And so now you know what the word ague means. And now I'm going to write another word up here for tomorrow night. Yes. Okay. <laughs> Forgetting about the phone people. Okay. This word is A-R-T-I-C-I-F-E-R. A-R-T-I-C-I-F-E-R. And I know it's a little faint in the back too, so maybe that'll help you out. So tomorrow night somebody speak up and tell me how you say it and what it means. And I, I really enjoy this. I really do. I, um, there's words in, in the King James Version that we read right through. And sometimes I do, and I, I don't know what it means. I just said it, but I don't know if I said it right or know what it means. And it does help us. So you children are helping us adults out this week on that. So God bless you for doing that. I know you seem excited about it, so that's a good thing. All right. <clears throat> Why don't we sing um, Peace, Perfect Peace. You all know that song? Peace, perfect peace, in this dark world of sin, the blood of Jesus whispers peace within. For tonight's message titled it, Receiving the Gift of Peace. And you can turn to John 14 for our text verse. Receiving the Gift of Peace. And it's just one verse here I would like to look at, and we want to talk about this verse all night. <laughs> it's, it's an amazing amount of content in this verse. John 14, verse 27, Jesus is speaking. He says, 
peace I leave with you. My peace I give unto you. Not as the world giveth, give I unto you. Let not your heart be troubled, neither let it be afraid. You know, on the surface of that, it's just words, right? But when you look at the surrounding environment in which Jesus was saying this, there's a whole new meaning that comes to life. And we live in a world today where peace is a popular word. Is it not? Everybody talks about peace. We want peace. But it seems like it's an almost impossible reality. And we'll talk about why that is. You know, there's not a lot of peace in the world. You know, as we speak, we might be looking at World War III starting with this whole Russia and Ukraine thing. I'm, I'm no predictor of the future. But we just might be. Where is peace? You know, we have the presidents of the countries, prime ministers, chancellors, other government leaders. They're huddling together in many places all over the world, and they're discussing peace. Peace on a world scene. You know, I have a question for you tonight. How many peace treaties have been made, and how many have been broken in this world of ours? Anybody want to venture a guess? Nearly all of them. I didn't get an exact number myself. In fact, on the way here, I checked. And the world's oldest peace treaty is from thir- the 1300s between Portugal and I think another country. And I, I bet the countries hardly even know each other, and that's why it's lasted so long. <laughs> countries that we're not really familiar with. But the average peace treaty in the world lasts for 20 years. 20 years. About one generation. Isn't that unique? Doesn't that tell something about us as people? You know, some of these peace treaties only last for a few months. Some last for a couple years. But all the talk is about peace. Peace, peace in this troubled world of ours. And, of course, on our own national level, we have a lot of disunity and hatred in this country, don't we? More than we ever had before. Extremism. Shootings seem to be happening every day. We have riots in the streets. And you know, the most astounding statistic is that there are 2 million Americans sitting in jail. 2 million Americans incarcerated. There's 1,566 state prisons. There's 102 federal prisons. There's 2,850 local jails. There's 1,510 juvenile correctional facilities. There's 186 immigration detention facilities. 82 Indian country jails, and then on top of that, there's military prisons, there's civil commitment centers, state psychiatric hospitals, and other prisons in U.S. territories, and a total of 2 million of your fellow citizens are sitting in jail. Peace in a troubled world. Seems, Seems impossible. The very fabric of society is unraveling before our eyes. Conflict in the homes and divorces rampant and child abuse and child trafficking. And we have mental health issues, suicide, gender confusion, all these things. It's just exploding, it seems. In my short lifetime, and maybe I wasn't aware of these things when I was younger, but it seems like it's just quadrupled in the last several years. And yes, even in the church today, we have discord. We have attitudes and grudges and seems there be divisions and splits and 
all kinds of things happening in the church today. Where is peace? Jesus says, peace I leave with you, my peace I give unto you. Somehow it's elusive. Somehow it slips through our fingers, doesn't it? We, hang, we grab for it. We grasp for it. And we can't, we can't seem to get a hold of it. And it's not for the lack of trying. Because we try. And the world is crying, peace, peace. And they're, they're convening to figure it out. And there is no peace. There's no peace. And you know, for the most part, personally, we want peace. We don't like conflict. We don't like stress. We don't like anxiety. We want to run away from it. We want peace. We want to be free from all of that. And you know, and our government has come up with many, many solutions. And you hear these politicians talking like, well, we need more police. Or we need better schooling. Or we need higher paying jobs. Or we need more government spending on mental health or more access to medical health care. And the list goes on and on and on. And they've talked about this for decades on end. But you know what? Is there peace? Is there more peace if we do these things? You know, I went and looked in the dictionary. And we've coped with this definition of peace for a long time. And this is all we can come up with in Merriam-Webster. Freedom from disturbance. Tranquility. And so in this world of ours, we've come to the definition that, the, that peace in our minds is this superficial, temporary lapse of conflict. It's a little bit of space and time where we have no conflict in our life, and we call it peace. And I'd like, when you go out the doors tonight, you have a def different definition of peace. <laughs> I hope we have a different definition of peace. What did Job have to say about it? He said, although affliction cometh not forth of the dust, neither doth trouble spring out of the ground, yet man is born unto trouble as the sparks fly upward. <laughs> I would seek unto God, and unto God would I commit my cause. Yes, that's the world we live in. I have a question for you. What is your solution for peace? You know, we have customers come in our doors every day and we're talking to them and they're get all riled up about all these things in the world happening. And what am I supposed to tell them? Do we have an answer for world peace? What does the Bible say? We should have our feet shod with the preparation of the gospel of peace. So we better have an answer. What is the answer? We'll get there. I think the answer in part is personal peace. We need to tell the world that unless you have peace in here, there's not going to be any world peace. The problem begins here. And the solution begins here. And the world has rejected God. And the world has rejected Jesus Christ. And you know what? They get everything but peace. They get everything but it. Because of their rejection of Jesus Christ. And I hope tonight that you will turn to him for peace. That is where we want to point you tonight. Where is peace? Where do you find it? I hope you will turn to Jesus. 2,700 years ago, a prophet called Isaiah, he, he prophesied this in Isaiah 9. For unto us a child is born, unto us a son is given, and the government shall be upon his shoulder, and his name shall be called Wonderful, Counselor, the Mighty God, the Everlasting Father, the Prince of Peace. 
of the increase of his government and peace, there shall be no end. Upon the throne of David and upon his kingdom, to order it and to establish it, with judgment and with justice from henceforth, even forevermore. The zeal of the Lord of hosts will perform this. And I tell you what, sometimes you hear politicians almost get close to this when they're promising the world to people. This is what we're going to do. But you know what? It's not the peace that the world is talking about. Can you believe this? Of the increase of his government and peace, there shall be no end forever. Eternity. Is that a government we're going to find on the face of this earth? It comes through the kingdom that he brought into this world, the kingdom of Jesus Christ. It's only possible through his kingdom, not in the ungodly world around us. And then we have, many years later, at the birth of Jesus Christ, those shepherds out there on the hillside, and the angels came down and said, Glory to God in the highest and on earth, peace, goodwill toward men. And so, yes, we have the promise of a kingdom of peace that will last forever through Jesus Christ. Jesus said in John 14, 27, peace I leave with you. My peace I give unto you. It's the peace from the Prince of Peace. And you know, if somebody's going to give you peace, they have to have it. They have to possess it. Jesus says, my peace... My personal peace, I'm going to give to you. And you must possess it to give peace. And then you know, Jesus was talking to his disciples here. And he saw in his disciples something that he wished they had. And that one thing was peace. What was Jesus doing in John 14 and 15 and 16? He was telling his disciples, I'm going to go away. And there's something I want to leave with you. There is a gift I want to give to you. It's my peace. It's a peace in my heart. Was it, what kind of peace was that? Was it freedom from conflict? Was it freedom from stress and pain, anguish? Was it a good life? Is that what Jesus was offering his disciples? Let me ask you, what was happening right now in John 14, 27? Anybody want to venture a guess? What was the circumstances of Jesus saying these words? What had just happened in John 13? Judas betrayed him. This was Passover week. And Judas had just betrayed him. And just a few days in front of Jesus Christ was the cross. And Jesus says to disciples, peace I leave with you. My peace I give to you. Now if you and I were in Jesus' shoes, would we have peace in my, in my, would I have peace in my heart to give to somebody else if a cruel Roman cross was just a few days away from me? All through this turmoil and trouble, Jesus says to his disciples, my peace I give unto you. How could Jesus have any peace in his heart? And there's an answer. And Jesus went through this. The only way that Jesus could tell his disciples 
that I, that I have peace I want to give to you is because he was in complete harmony and surrender to God the Father. And he fought that battle in the Garden of Gethsemane. He said, not my will, but thine. And he pleaded with God, let this cup pass. But not my will, but thine was the key to the peace that Jesus could give his disciples. Not even a Roman cross could destroy that peace. This was the peace that he wanted to give his disciples who were troubled and scared at what was going on. And this was the peace that the world can't give. He said, not as the world giveth. It's a peace that the world can't give. It's a supernatural peace. It's an otherworldly peace. Not of this world. This is the peace that Jesus wanted to give his disciples. And it's found in complete harmony and submission to God the Father. Not my will, but thine be done. We want to look at this gift of peace in a little bit of more detail here. Yes, this, this peace that Jesus was saying is a surrender to the will of God. And you know, we talked about Adam and Eve last night. But God created man to find peace in a relationship with him. That is where the peace was found. Adam and Eve experienced peace because they were in harmony with God. They walked with God. And that is the peace that God created men to experience with him. And the reward for doing that is a peace that passes all understanding. It's a supernatural peace. It's an otherworldly peace that we can have. And it's the peace that God desires for each one of us. He really does. That's why God came down, walked in the cool of the day to see Adam. Because he desires for us to have that peace. It's a supernatural peace. It comes from heaven. It belongs to God. It belongs to Christ. Jesus said, my peace give I unto you. You know, the Bible is full of references of the God of peace. Sometime you need to look that up. That can be an assignment for you. Look up the, how many times in the New Testament where it says the God of peace. Now the God of peace sanctify you holy. You know, there's a lot of those uh, benedictions like that. There's one found in 2 Thessalonians 3.16. It says, now the Lord himself, Lord of peace himself, give you peace always by all means. The Lord be with you all. And I see in that verse the heartbeat of Jesus here in John 14, 27, that he wanted to give peace always by all means to his disciples. It's a peace that transcends the human realm. It's a peace that transcends the world and what they have to offer. That is the gift that Jesus wants to give. The gift of peace that comes from complete harmony with God and his will. But did man stand harmony with God? No, they didn't. Man did not stand harmony with God. Neither did you and I. We have rebelled against God. We have disobeyed God. And the separation that we experience when we rebel against God and his will is a distancing. It's a separation from the peace of God. In fact, it becomes very... We lose it entirely, don't we? When we walk away from God. And we experience what this thing we call guilt. And we have no peace in our soul. 
And you know, this separation has followed us from Adam down through the ages. When man rebels against God and walks away from him, doesn't walk with him, we experience disruption, we experience anxiety, we experience guilt, and it weighs us down. You know what else we are in the sight of God? We're his enemies. Romans 5 says that we were the enemies of God. Ephesians 2 says that there was enmity between us and God. And my friends, tonight, if you are an enemy, you are not experiencing peace with God. If you are at enmity with God, you are not experiencing peace with God. Sin alienates us from the peace that Jesus wants to give us. His peace, his personal peace of surrender and complete harmony with God. And yes, the most severe and permanent alienation from this peace is hell itself, is it not? The most complete separation and alienation from the peace of God is hell. It is. And even for our lives here on earth, it's a bit like hell. Of the torment and the, the struggle we go through in our hearts when we're alienated from God. And tonight, if you're searching for peace, and you're hoping to receive the gift that Jesus can give you, but there's sin in your life, you cannot receive the gift of peace. You cannot receive the gift of peace because sin destroys peace. Sin takes it away from you. And it's impossible to possess this divine gift of peace and yet be a sinner. God says you have nothing to do with sin. Isaiah 57 verse 19, I create the fruit of the lips. Peace, peace to him that is far off and to him that is near, saith the Lord, and I will heal him. But the wicked are like the troubled sea when it cannot rest, whose waters cast up mire and dirt. There is no peace, saith God, to the wicked. For the sinner there is no peace. And as the peace that Jesus wants to give each one of us tonight, peace I leave with you, my peace I give unto you. But we go back to Isaiah. For unto us a child is born, unto us a son is given. It's not the end of the story. Jesus came, and I think this is part of the peace that he felt. When he came to this earth and he was facing that cross in a couple days, that he was doing the will of his Father. And what was that will? That will was to die on a cross and reconcile mankind back to God. We are not without hope. The Prince of Peace has come and has given us and offered us this gift of peace. And that gift, in part, is the gospel. It's the gospel. Let's turn to Romans 4 for some verses here I wanted to read. What I'm telling you here is the gospel message. This is the way we find peace. This is the way we receive the peace that Jesus has to offer. Romans 4, and we're going to start reading at verse 23 and then read through chapter 5, <clears throat> verse 11. We're kind of breaking in here, but I wanted to get some context from chapter 5. Chapter 4, 23. Now it was not written for his sake alone that it was imputed to him, but for us also to whom it shall be imputed, if we believe on him that raised up Jesus our Lord from the dead, who was delivered for our offenses and was raised again for our justification. Therefore, being justified by faith, we have peace with God. Through our Lord Jesus Christ, the gift that he wants to offer. By whom also we have access by faith into this grace wherein we stand 
and rejoice in the hope in the glory of God. And not only so, but we glory in tribulations also, knowing that tribulation worketh patience, and patience experience, and experience hope. And hope maketh not ashamed, because the love of God is shed abroad in our hearts by the Holy Ghost, which is given unto us. For when we were yet without strength, in due time Christ died for the ungodly. For scarcely for a righteous man will one die, yet peradventure for a good man some would even dare to die. But God commended his love toward us, in that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. Much more then, being now justified by his blood, we shall be saved from the wrath through him. For if when we were enemies, we were reconciled to God by the death of his son, much more being reconciled, we shall be saved by his life. And not only so, but we also joy in God through our Lord Jesus Christ, by whom we have now received the atonement. My friends, tonight, that is the gospel message, that is the gift of peace that you can have through Jesus Christ. That is the gift of peace. Colossians 1 verse 20 says, And having made peace through the blood of his cross, by him to reconcile all things unto himself, by him I say, whether they be things in earth or things in heaven, and you that were sometimes alienated and enemies in your mind by wicked works, yet now hath he reconciled. And yes, the Prince of Peace did that on the cross. For us. Isaiah 53.5 says what? The chastisement of our what? Peace was upon him on that cross. Jesus bore the punishment so that you and I could have his peace. And my friends tonight, I don't, I don't think we understand how great of a gift it is when we can walk through a troubled world and we're at peace. Our world is in chaos. Every person you meet on the street has something going wrong and it's chaotic. But the result of the work of Jesus on the cross is freedom. It's from, from guilt and a peace in our hearts as we stand before God justified and reconciled to him. We were enemies, but now we can be friends. Be friends with God. It's a peaceful relationship with God. The Bible says we can even become sons of God. This divine, this supernatural, this otherworldly peace that Jesus gives is only for those who will accept him. It's only for those who put their faith and trust in the blood of Jesus Christ. And you know what that takes for us? Or what that means for us? Surrender. We have to surrender to Jesus Christ to receive the gift of peace. Peace I leave with you, my peace I give unto you, not as the world giveth, give I unto you. Let not your heart be troubled, neither let it be afraid. What are the results of this gift of peace? You know, when we get a gift from somebody, we're looking to do something with it, right? It gets used, or it get, maybe it gets set on a shelf or something. It's useful to us. There's a result of the gift giving. And the same is true for us. And I just jotted a few of them down. There's a list that goes on and on probably. What is the result of this gift of peace? And the first one I marked down here is assurance. Isn't that the gift we received? For those of us who've given our hearts to the Lord, it was assurance that we were right with God. We could sing that song, It is well with my soul. 
We can sing that because of our assurance that we are saved. We can experience communion with God, and it's the work of the Spirit, really. The work of the Spirit comforts us, establishes us, assures us that you are right with God. Romans 15, 13 says, Now the God of hope fill you with all joy and peace in believing. Why? That ye may abound in hope through the power of the Holy Ghost. And so we have no hope unless we have peace within our hearts. And we can have that tonight. Are you filled with the peace of God? Are you troubled for some reason or the other in your life tonight? Are you filled with this peace? The second result of this gift that Jesus is giving is victory. It's victory. And we don't often think about that. But let me tell you something tonight. The peace that Jesus was offering his disciples was a triumphant peace. It was a conquering peace. Look at the things in front of Jesus. Betrayal, denial, mocking, scourging, pain, death. And he says, peace I leave with you. My peace I give unto you. Let me tell you something. It is a triumphant peace that triumphs over anxiety and fear and doubt and despair. It's a, it conquers the future. It conquers the future that, lays in front, that lies in front of us. It sure did for Jesus and it can for us as well. It brings courage. It brings confidence. It brings contentment. And you know, at the end of John 16, he says, These things have I spoken unto you. Why? That in me you might have peace. We can conquer the future if we have peace in our hearts. In the world, he says, ye shall have tribulation, but be of good cheer. What? I have overcome the world. And I'd like to paraphrase and say that my peace has overcome the world. Brings victory. The results of peace in my heart is victory. The third point I wrote down here is rest. Peace brings rest. Have you ever tried to sleep and you didn't have peace in your heart? Or you didn't have peace about a relationship or a peace about this? Pretty difficult, isn't it, to have rest? There's a verse in Isaiah, two of them, chapter 32, verse 17 and 18, and it says this, And the work of righteousness shall be peace, and the effect of righteousness, quietness and assurance forever. And my people shall dwell in a peaceable habitation and in sure dwellings and in quiet resting places. Let me tell you something. That is the heart cry of God for his people. That's where he wants us to be tonight. Peace, quietness, assurance, rest. And that comes through following Jesus Christ in his footsteps. Full surrender. And you know what? Tonight, I think we sometimes underestimate how much we have been spared because we've been raised in godly homes where our parents live righteous lives and we've been spared a lot of violence and a lot of turmoil. But we need to live and walk in Jesus' footsteps to have that. We really do. And it's important not only for rest around us and physically, but it's more importantly, it's rest for the soul. It's rest for the soul. And I think if we ever needed rest in a world today, it's now. We're worn out. 
The world is worn out. I think even conservative Mennonites are worn out. You know, it's time for rest and peace in our soul. And God promises that to us, those who trust in him. And Jesus promises that to us, that beautiful promise, come unto me all ye that labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Peace I leave with you, my peace give I unto you. The gift of peace. The fourth gift, the fourth result of peace I have here is joy. Isaiah 55, 12 says, For ye shall go out with joy and be led forth with peace. The mountains and the hills shall break forth before you in the singing, and the trees of the field shall clap their hands. And I love the idea that it says you're going to go out with joy, and what is going to be leading you? Peace. You know, you cannot have joy in your hearts tonight without peace making room for it. Is that not true? I think it is. Peace has to make room in your hearts for joy. And then this joy turns into singing, turns into clapping, turns into excitement. And my friends, it's hard to beat a testimony of a Christian who has this in their life. For you shall go out with joy and be led forth with peace. Joy is a result of the peace in our hearts. And yes, the New Testament speaks to this as well in Romans 14, 7. For the kingdom of God is not meat and drink but righteousness and peace and joy in the Holy Ghost. And that joy in the Holy Ghost is confirmation in my life. It's peace. We're at peace with God. And it's joy. Another New Testament verse in Galatians 5.22. I love the order of these, these terms. But the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, long-suffering, gentleness, goodness, faith. And this idea of joy and peace being tied together again. There is no room in our hearts for joy if there's no peace in our hearts. And you know, that I'll be honest with you, that is a real struggle for me sometimes, isn't it? To have joy in my life. You know, happiness is one thing. Happiness comes and goes. Joy is something else. Joy is, a, is an undercurrent in my life that establishes me. And there's a lot of things that can war against joy. And one of those is peace. We need to start with peace in our life. If we don't have it, it's a prerequisite, you might say, for joy in my life. Well, do you have peace tonight? You might be sitting here and you might ask yourself the question, why don't I have peace? Is there some reason I don't have peace tonight? And I have two reasons listed here why you may not have peace tonight. And I'm, there might be more. And the first one's pretty obvious. If you are living in sin here tonight, there's no chance you're going to have peace in your heart. No chance. Sin brings separation. It brings guilt. It destroys peace in my life. And yes, it can be unforgiveness. It can be unthankfulness. It can be hatred. It could be envy. It could be jealousy. And it's going to steal your peace. It's going to steal your peace. And the answer's the same for all. Come back to the giver of peace. And he says, my peace give I unto you, not as the world giveth. And so tonight, if there's sin in your life, we're going to give you an opportunity to, to make it known and to 
confess and to come back to the giver of peace and repentance. But maybe you're sitting here tonight. You're saying, I've been a Christian. I've given my heart to the Lord. I still don't have peace. And I don't think I can stand here and say that if you're a Christian tonight, you're guaranteed to have peace in your heart 24-7, 365 days a year for all your life. But I think there's one key thing for we Christians, for us Christians, and that is when we fail to trust in God, we lose our peace. We lose our peace. The Bible says in Isaiah 26.3, Thou wilt keep him in perfect peace, whose mind is stayed on thee, because he trusteth in thee. And so yes, we as Christians can get our minds on another road, somewhere else, other than being stayed on God. Philippians 4 verse 6, Be careful for nothing, but in everything by prayer and supplication with thanksgiving, let your request be made known unto God. And then what will happen? And the peace of God, which passeth all understanding, shall keep your hearts and minds through Christ Jesus. If you're here tonight, you're not experiencing peace, and you've been a Christian for a long time, bring it before the Lord. Come before him in prayer. Everything by prayer and supplication with thanksgiving, let your request be made known to God. And there is a peace that comes through sharing that with God that passes all understanding. You know, God wishes peace upon his people. The Bible says that God does not delight in the death of the wicked. He does not. And instead, Jeremiah 29, 11, For I know the thoughts that I think toward you, saith the Lord, thoughts of peace and not of evil, to give you an expected end. That is the heartbeat of God. That's the heartbeat of Jesus Christ. Peace I leave with you. My peace give I unto you. Not as the world giveth, give I unto you. Psalm 29, 11 says, The Lord will give strength unto his people. The Lord will bless his people with peace. You know, in a congregation, in a family, in a marriage, there is strength when there is peace. And the Lord says he's going to give us that, that strength and he's going to bless us with peace. That is his desire for us tonight. And I pray that, that each one of us could find that gift of peace. That's what, he, that's what he wants for you. And there's no need to go away from here tonight and not have peace in your heart. Because there's brothers and sisters here tonight that love you. And they will help you find the giver of peace. Let's bow our heads for prayer. <clears throat> our Father in heaven, we come before you tonight and we're so thankful for the many gifts and blessings you have poured out upon us. Lord, most of all, we're thankful for peace that we can have through, through Jesus. And we're so thankful for his sacrifice on the cross, for the justification that we can experience in the sight of God through that sacrifice and the reconciliation back to him. Lord, I just pray for this congregation here tonight. And I pray that if there's any soul here tonight that is restless and disturbed and anxious and maybe there's sin in their life, that you would, your Holy Spirit would convict them. Lord, that you would convince them to make it known and that they would experience this peace that passes all understanding. Lord, I pray you would bless this congregation as well for their faithfulness, coming out here and listening to the word of God every evening. Lord, I pray you would bless them. And we pray that uh, 
Your peace would be with us all. In Jesus' name, amen.